I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 34 will be our text tonight. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 34. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Let's pray. We thank you tonight, God, for your precious word. We ask, Father, please, that you would visit us now in these moments and speak clearly to us. God, I don't have any words of my own to say to these people. Spirit of God, I ask that you would let the, let the message of the Scripture come through these lips, God, that we might hear from God, not from me. Teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Every life has what we might call an organizing principle. There's, there's something in every life that all aspects of life relate to at its core. Let me say it another way. Everybody makes their decisions based on something. Some, some central authority in their life. Everybody thinks the way they think and does the things they do, and lives the way they live, because of some organizing principle. It may not even be something they acknowledge or even recognize. For some people, the organizing principle is self-gratification, right? They, they make the decisions they make based on what will gratify themselves. The things they do, they do because they think that's what will bring them self-gratification. 
their viewpoint and beliefs are what give them gratification. So for, for some people, self is kind of the organizing principle at the center of life. Everything is revolves around what the self wants, what the self says. For some people, it may be success that is the organizing principle of life. Their desire for success determines their viewpoint on things and determines what they're going to do and how they're going to live and what decisions they're going to make. So for some people, it may be self. For some people, it, it, it may be success. It could be a lot of other things. The point I want you to see is whether we acknowledge it or not, there's something at the center for each one of us, some principle at the center that provides the basis for which we do the things we do. Some, we might call it some core value that establishes the reason we make the decisions we make, the reason we think the way we think, the reason we act the way we act. Now, as we've been in the Gospel of Mark, we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. So what is this organizing principle for a disciple? What is it at the, at the center of a believer's life, the center of a disciple's life, that provides that core value for us on which we base our decisions and our actions and our viewpoints and our morals. For the believer, it's not self. Self is not the controlling influence of our life, if we're believers. It's not success that is the controlling influence of our life as believers. What is the thing for the believer that determines everything else? And tonight, I want to submit to you that for the believer, it is the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus should provide the controlling influence that is the basis for all that we do and all that we think and all the decisions we make. It should all come back to what Jesus has said. Tonight, we're going to talk about the teachings of Jesus. And specifically what we're going to note is that the teachings of Jesus have absolute authority. And I want you to understand the significance of his teachings and the, the absolute centrality of the teachings of Jesus for the life of a believer. Listen, when we look at the Word of God, it, it's not just suggestions for life. It's not just sayings of wisdom for when you get into trouble. No, no, no. The Word of God is the core value, the organizing principle around which everything else in our life revolves. Tonight, the verses we're looking at, in Mark's Gospel, this is the first time we see the response of the public to Jesus. We saw... Uh, John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world as he preached ahead of Jesus, and then he baptized Jesus, and then we saw Jesus come on the scene preaching, and this morning we looked at him call his first disciples. Now for the first time we see how the public reacts to Jesus as he goes into the synagogue and begins to teach. 
the, the central theme of the verses that we're looking at tonight is the authority of Jesus as a teacher or the authority of his teachings. And tonight I want to make three observations about Jesus' authority as a teacher. Here's the first thing I want us to look at for just a moment. The recognition of Jesus' authority as a teacher. Let's notice the recognition of Jesus' authority as a teacher. Verse 21. They went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and began to teach. The synagogue is sort of like a Jewish community center in those days. This is for people who didn't live anywhere near the temple. It was a place where political discussion would take place. Uh, children would be educated. It was a place where prayer would, be, uh, would happen at certain times of the day. And on the Sabbath day, the synagogue is a place where the scripture would be read and explained. There would be a reading from the scroll of the Old Testament and a rabbi or a teacher, someone would begin to teach and explain from the scripture. That's what Jesus is doing in verse 21. On the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue when the time comes for the reading of the scripture, it is read and he begins to teach. Now, we don't know specifically what he taught. It doesn't tell us, but most likely he's teaching the same thing we learned in verses 14 and 15 that he went preaching. He was preaching about the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus reads from the scripture and he begins to teach the people about the kingdom of God and the reality that it is drawn near. And what's important for us to notice is verse 22, the reaction of the people. They were amazed at his teaching. You know how one Bible scholar translates that word amazed? Thunderstruck. It, amazed really is an understatement. They were blown away by the way he was teaching. Why? It tells us. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now keep in mind who the scribes are. The scribes are highly regarded as experts in interpreting and teaching the Scripture. But you see, their normal method of teaching was to rely on the authority of someone else. What I mean is, they would spend their time quoting from other Jewish teachers. They would quote from Jewish writings, or they would quote famous rabbis from the past. And they would say, you know, like this rabbi said, or like this rabbi said. And so they didn't really speak on their own, any, any real position of authority on their own, they simply relied on what other people said about the Scripture. But that's not what Jesus was doing. They said Jesus was not doing that at all. He spoke as one having authority. What does that mean? They spoke and taught relying on the authority of other people. They assumed no authority for themselves. 
Jesus spoke as one who had authority within himself. In other words, he didn't have to quote anybody else. He didn't have to rely on what anybody else said for authority. He spoke as someone who had authority within himself. And as we go along, I, I want to try to help you understand what I mean. Like his words in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? He said things like this. You have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. You see that? I say to you. He's assuming a position of authority. Let me tell you how it's supposed to be. This is what you've heard, and this is what you think, but let me tell you the truth. You see what he's doing? He's assuming a place of authority. He speaks as one who has the authority within himself to preach and teach. The word authority refers to, usually this particular word refers to supernatural power or supernatural authority. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. They're power in Jesus' words. And let me help you understand what I mean. When I preach, does my preaching have authority? Absolutely. And here's why. Because what I'm preaching is what the Bible says. The authority that I have is not resident in me. In and of myself, I have no authority to speak. But the Bible does. So when I preach, I just say what the Bible says, and that's why I have authority. The difference with Jesus is, He needs no outside source for His words to have authority. I only have authority when I'm preaching what the Bible says. Anything Jesus said has authority because authority is resonant in himself. You with me? That's what sets Jesus apart from any other preacher, any other teacher. He has absolute authority within himself. And the people recognize when he preached and when he taught, there's something very different about this man. He teaches as somebody who doesn't have to rely on anyone to verify his words as if he himself had the authority to make it so. Now what I want to say to you as we begin tonight is this. Disciples are people who recognize the authority of Jesus' teachings. Disciples are people who recognize that what Jesus says comes with absolute authority. Now, let's move on. I want to make a second observation about Jesus' authority as a teacher. The source of Jesus' authority as a teacher. We looked at the recognition of Jesus' authority as a teacher. Now notice with me the source of His authority. You'll notice in verse 23 and 24, something happens. As Jesus is teaching... A demon-possessed man interrupts the service with a loud cry. Verse 23, Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, 
the Holy One of God. What business do we have with each other? This is a Hebrew expression that basically means go away and leave us alone. That's the idea. Look, we don't have any business, Jesus, so you just leave us alone. Why are you here? But notice what they said. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Remember what we've been saying. Jesus has come to establish the kingdom of God. He is the promised one. He is the Christ. The promised king. And the demons know that when the kingdom of God is fully and finally established, that's the end for them. You understand? That's their destruction. When the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, they will be banished into hell forever. And that's why they said, is now the time? Have you come to destroy us? Is this the time you're going to come and banish us away? They knew the significance of Jesus and His coming to the earth, a significance that the people didn't even understand. The demons know exactly who Jesus is. They call Him the Holy One of God. This is not a common phrase in the Bible. This is not a common title in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's only used one other time in the Old Testament to describe Samson. But the idea here. Normally in the Bible, the Holy One will refer to God Himself. The point being made is the demons recognized that Jesus is what Mark chapter 1 verse 1 said. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They knew who He was. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They understood that He had a divine nature. In other words, they understood that Jesus was God in a human body. They knew who he was. That's why they said, you are the Holy One of God. The one unique Son of God who has the very character and nature of God. They recognize that. Now, why does this appear in the context of Jesus preaching and teaching? Why is this important? Here's the question. How could Jesus speak as if he had authority within himself? Simple. He is the Holy One of God. What's the source of His authority? The source of His authority is who He is. Listen, you, you've heard me say this before. Jesus didn't just speak for God. He spoke as God. How is it that Jesus could speak and His words carried absolute authority without having to rely on any outside source? Because He was and is God. You understand? The demons recognized who He was. That's where His authority came from. He could speak with absolute authority because He had absolute authority. He has absolute authority. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Don't you understand? How does somebody have such authority that they can just speak as if they're God? Well, he is God. 
He is God. In John 7, 16, Jesus said this, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. What is He saying? He's saying my teaching comes directly from God. Not mediated through any other person. It comes directly from God. When you hear the words of Jesus, you are hearing the words of God. That's one of the reasons the Apostle John called Jesus what? In the beginning was the what? Word. He called Jesus the Word. Jesus is the living embodiment of the Word of God. He speaks with absolute authority because He has absolute authority. Imagine a three-year-old running in the room and telling his older sister, Mama said, you have to let me play the game with you. Well, would the older sister let him play? Well, it depends on whether or not she believed the little boy that his mom had said that. But now imagine this. Now, now imagine Mama herself comes in the room and says, you let your little brother play that game with you. What am I saying? Words hit a little bit differently when they come directly from the source, don't they? Not secondhand. Jesus is not speaking secondhand. When you hear the teachings of Jesus, you're hearing it directly from the source. You're hearing it from the horse's mouth. That's why a court eyewitness testimony has a lot more weight than hearsay. Directly from the authority. That's what we're saying. We're saying Jesus' teaching has absolute authority because He is the one with absolute authority. Listen, that's why Jesus is the lens through which we interpret the whole Bible. We allow Jesus to dictate how we read and interpret not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. In other words, the teachings of Jesus we let those teachings inform how we understand the Old Testament. In other words, we don't read the Old Testament as if Jesus doesn't exist, as if He never taught. No, no, no. We let the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament tell us how to read and understand the Old Testament. You with me? Why? Because He has absolute authority. And Jesus said... The Old Testament is about who? Him. He said, these things are written about me. That's why we interpret the Old Testament through a Christian lens and not apart from Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. If Jesus' teaching has absolute authority because He Himself is God, the Holy One of God, that means what He teaches is binding over every part of our lives. You understand what I mean? That means His teaching has absolute authority over every single aspect of your life. He has the authority to dictate how you speak. He has the authority to dictate what you watch and what you don't watch. He has the authority to dictate what you listen to 
and what you don't listen to. He has the authority to dictate who your friends are and who your friends are not. He has the authority to dictate every single thing about your life. His teachings. This is where I started. For the believer, the teachings of Jesus. We give we don't give him authority, he has it, but we recognize the authority of Jesus over every area of life and we submit to it. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to submit to his authority over every aspect of our lives. So the teachings of Jesus have absolute authority. The source of his authority is in himself because he is the Holy One of God. Now there's something else I want us to notice tonight. We've seen the recognition of his authority as a teacher and we've seen the source of his authority as a teacher. Notice now the evidence of Jesus' authority as a teacher. Well, after the demonic man makes a stir in church, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Jesus simply speaks. And the demon has no choice but to obey. He immediately does what Jesus says. And the people, it says, verse 27, are blown Away. This is that same word, thunderstruck, is the way one Bible scholar's interpreted it. They're thunderstruck. So much so that they debated among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. In other words, who is this man that has authority to command the evil spirits and they obey him? Where does such authority come from? Well, we know where it comes from because he's the Holy One of God, but they didn't know. Now, I want you to notice something else. So Jesus casts out this demon. Now, when you come down to verses 29 through 31, Jesus and his four disciples have gone into the home of Peter. And... Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is lying sick with a fever, verse 30. So Jesus is immediately called to come in. Verse 31, he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. The most important words there are the last five, and she waited on them. How many of you have ever been sick with a high fever? Probably everybody here. How many of you know that even when the fever breaks, even after the fever breaks, you're as weak as water? I mean, you're not instantly healed when the fever breaks. It takes a little time to recover from the kind of sickness that gives you a high fever. What does this say after Jesus heals his woman? She waited on them. No, where she got up and began to fix dinner, began to wash their feet, began to take care of them. 
Are, are you seeing what I'm saying? She wasn't just didn't just have a fever break. She was healed fully, completely, instantly. So much so that she could get up and go to work. Absolute healing. Listen, now think about this. He's just cast out a demon with nothing but a word. Poof. Now he heals this woman instantly, absolutely, fully, and completely with a touch. He just takes her by the hand and the fever's gone and she's fully strengthened immediately. No recovery time necessary. So Jesus shows power over sickness and he shows power over demons. Say, well, the, I mean, these could be coincidences. You can't, you know, there's no evidence that this was, you know, but so she got well at that moment, or so this demon left this boy. Well, so nobody thinks this is a fluke or a coincidence. Look what happens in verses 32 to 34. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon possessed. The whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because he knew who they was. Jesus is still at Peter's house. And the city begins to hear and come. And they bring sick people and demon-possessed people. And did you see what it said? Look at it. Look at it. Verse 34. He healed many who were ill with various diseases. He cast out many demons. Were these miracles of Jesus just a fluke? This demon left this man and he healed Peter's mother? No, 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 no. To make sure we don't think this is a coincidence, Mark goes on to say, and oh, by the way, that same night he cast out a lot of demons. He healed a lot of people who were sick with all kinds of stuff. Why is this important? What does this have to do with Jesus' teaching? I'll tell you what it has to do. It's evidence. It's evidence. Did you notice in verse 27 that when the, when the people in the synagogue saw Jesus cast out this demon, they immediately connected it with his teaching. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. You see, for them, Jesus' power <coughs> gave evidence of the authority of his teaching. Are you with me? In the book of John, in the Gospel of John, John doesn't call Jesus' miracles miracles. He calls them something else. You know what he calls them? Anybody remember? Signs. What's a sign? A sign is something that's intended to give you information. Jesus' miracles are intended to give you information about who He is. They demonstrate the reality of what He is and the validity of what He teaches. In this case, Mark puts the record of these miracles here so that when we see Jesus teaches with authority, we see a demonstration of that authority. He is the Holy One of God. 
He does have absolute authority to speak for God and as God. And he demonstrates that. He proves that by doing what only God can do. Matthew 17 records the transfiguration. You probably remember the story. Peter and James and John went with Jesus up on the mountain. And it says He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, they saw Jesus shining bright as the sun in all of His glory. And they saw Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter is awestruck. And as he always does, he just talks without thinking very much. And he says, Lord, why don't we just make some tents and camp out here? I'll make one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Do you remember what happened while he was talking? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Now, I want you to think about this. Peter sees this astounding sight. We don't even have words to describe what he must have seen. Miracle, absolutely miraculous, glorious, a vision of heaven. And Peter gets so latched on to the miracle. Lord, let's just camp out here. And God says, what? Listen to him. Listen. Listen to me. When you read this account of Jesus teaching, we're told that he taught with authority. And you see these miracles follow after. Jesus has this power to cast out demons and the power to heal. He demonstrates the power of God. What are those miracles saying to you and to me? Listen to him. Don't get so caught up on the spectacular part of the miracle that you miss the message they're intended to convey. Read the sign. It's a sign. Read the sign. What's the sign saying? Listen to Him. He really does have the authority of God. He really does have the authority to speak for God. He demonstrates it by His power. So listen to Him. The point of these verses is very clear and very simple. Jesus' teachings have absolute authority. His teachings have absolute authority for the disciple. The teachings of Jesus are the authority for every aspect of life. His teachings decide our beliefs and our worldview. His teachings decide our moral standards and our values. His teachings decide who we will and who we won't marry. 
His teachings decide who we will and who we won't vote for. His teachings decide how we work, how we play, how we think, and everything else. And let me ask you a question tonight. Have you given the teachings of Jesus that kind of authority over your life? Do you recognize the absolute authority of Jesus and His words to dictate every single aspect of your life? Have you surrendered to Him absolute authority over everything in your life? That authority is His to claim rightly. And as disciples, we are people who willingly recognize that authority and submit to it. So as you go home tonight, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I submitting to the Lord and what He says in all parts of my life? Let's pray.